Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we'll be talking with Alex Johnson. Alex is a former intelligence officer from the Marine Corps, adjunct professor of tax, and is currently an associate attorney at Kugelman Law, a firm that specializes in cryptocurrency taxes and audits. Alex handles estate law, tax, crypto, and business law cases for his clients. And today, he'll be combining those specialty areas to give us a rundown on cryptocurrency scams. Alex, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And, uh, you know, you and I have known each other for a little bit. Uh, I'm excited to finally have you on the podcast. You have a really great background with the Marine Corps and and working in tax. And so can you give us a little bit more detail about your um, history in the crypto tax space and just overall history? Yeah, sure. So um, I joined the Marine Corps right out of college, uh, was an aviation intelligence officer, um, did that for a few years, did a deployment, decided to get out after I'd done my my commitment, um, went to law school uh, while I was working in um, construction project management, actually, weirdly enough, uh, that's just kind of where I ended up. Um, so was going to law school at night, um, got really interested in tax. Uh, it was right around the time when crypto was taking off. I recognized it as a a very unique asset class with a lot of unresolved legal issues around it. And I just combined my interest in tax and my interest in crypto while I was still a student, wrote a couple articles on um, foreign taxation and taxation of cryptocurrencies. Honestly, looking back at those articles, they look really dated now. But anyway, I was... um, (laughs) That's how it goes, man. That's how it goes. I've written a couple things too. And it's like, yeah, it's almost embarrassing to look back at, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I was arguing for treatment of foreign currency, like taxation to be applied to cryptocurrency as like a functional currency, um, like in the same way you consider like businesses that transact in foreign currency, um, like those rules being applied to people who use like crypto as a functional currency. Anyway, yeah, yeah. it looks super dated now. (laughs) It's an interesting take. Totally, totally. So I, I got really interested in just examining it as a as an asset. Um, you know, started out uh, in uh, tax working for Ernst & Young. I did that for a little bit. I hated the big firm life, um, ended up going off to uh, smaller boutique firms. And that's how I ended up here with Kugelman Law. And recently have just gotten really into examining some of these crypto scams just because we started getting intake calls about them and people just really didn't know what to do. And you know, with my kind of background in the in the intel community and having like a lot of um, people who I served with in law enforcement, you know, I felt like it was a really interesting topic. So I kind of dug into it a little deeper uh, and started looking into the um, the tax consequences of, of thefts and you know, how people go about like reporting this and um, how people might be able to actually get some relief. Um, and it's been an, an interesting, interesting journey so far. Um, and it's still still kind of ongoing. Um, so anyway, that's that's a little bit of, of background there on me and how I got to crypto scams. Yeah, I mean, there are so many cryptocurrency scams out there. And when you and I kind of discussed the topic for this, you know, you had mentioned pig butchering, a term that I had actually never heard of. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that haven't heard that term. So can you explain, is 
pig butchering just a general name for a crypto scam? Like when I think of crypto scams, I think of like rug pulls uh, generally. Um, so is a rug pull the same as pig butchering or is pig butchering a specific type of uh, cryptocurrency scam? So I, I think, and that's like a really good question. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they are, they're very similar but different in some notable ways in the way that they're they're executed. And I mean, honestly, as I think about it more and more, a rug pull is almost like a type of pig butchering scam. Hmm. Um, and really what the, the nuts and bolts of like a pig butchering scam is that you have um, someone who poses as this successful trader in cryptocurrency and, and honestly, it, it could be in, in anything because I've seen this come about with Forex stuff. Oh, yeah. They'll use like crypto as the conduit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like that's just a side note. Backing up, you have like someone who's posing as this really successful trader in crypto and they entice someone to make a investment right into this like platform um that usually looks like really legitimate but it might be um kind of branded as an alternative trading platform or like a foreign trading platform and you know someone will invest and then uh they'll report fictitious gains through the platform like practically speaking right like let's let's say like you meet someone online um and they say hey i'm doing really well in in crypto like let me bring you in on this um so they bring you in on it. They introduce you to some platform. You, you know, you go onto crypto.com or Coinbase, you buy your first little like 500 to a thousand bucks worth of, you know, Litecoin or USDT. So they usually go for something really innocuous, right? As like an easy bridge, right? Into other platforms. Um, and then you fund like an investment account at this site that they recommend you to invest in. It looks like you're making really great returns. And usually they'll do it, you know, where you have a, a point of contact. The person who originally brought you in will instruct you on how to make trades. They'll like say, oh, we're doing like margin trading or some sort of like this is, you know, staking or mining or whatever. They really like to use like buzzy words around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and entice you to just continue to invest more. And then eventually you'll be like, hey, I just made all this money. You can't let me withdraw some. And then it's the same script almost every single time. Like, oh, well, to make a withdrawal, you have to go through this procedure, right? And that procedure becomes long and drawn out, sometimes ask for additional deposits to pay a so-called tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes folks will either make that deposit or call a firm like us and say hey is this deposit like a legitimate thing um and that's usually when they learn that they're being scammed and that their money is gone um so components here are you got someone posing as a successful trader they bring you into a platform that provides you with fictitious statements um that fictitious statement encourages you to invest more and then eventually they just you know peace out of there take your money leave and um, you'll never hear from them ever again. Why? Right? Do they ask you for like your address or anything? Do they do any sort of like phishing? Do they give you any like phishing links or anything like that? Or is it always just like, hey, deposit money here. It's a legit exchange. Buy crypto, even though in reality, you're just giving us money, essentially. Yeah. So, I mean, usually what they do is they direct you to a legit platform like Binance or Crypto.com or Coinbase, right? And then uh, instruct you on how to buy crypto. 
um, and then direct you to another platform that is like your investment or trading platform. Um, and they have you create an account on that website, which will have like KYC, AML, anti-money laundering, know your customer procedures where you provide your ID, right? Mm -hmm. um, you go through this whole, like what seems like a very legitimate registration process in order to cre even create an account that would then give you an address where you can send your funds, right? To fund your account. Um, so you can start trading on the platform. And that address and, is, in, is in their custody the entire time, obviously. It's not a real address yeah. that you can access anytime. Yeah, they just like create this user interface that makes it look like you, you know, have Jeez. however many funds. And I mean, yeah, man, it, it's it's really insidious. And you drew the comparison to to a rug pull. And I think that they're similar because, you know, with like a rug pull, you have a bunch of people giving money and there's this whole hype cycle. Right. And you have a few people at the top who end up doing really well. And then everybody else just gets basically screwed out of their investment. Right. So it, it's like kind of the same thing. But this pick butchering is it's, it's getting so incredibly sophisticated and it targets people of all age groups. And it's usually people who are a little more crypto ignorant. But I mean, any I've had people call me who are in their early 20s and people who are in their, you know, mid 80s. <laughs> and, you know, all of them kind of fit a, a similar, similar profile of being like a little bit ignorant about crypto, feeling like it's something where they can make a bunch of money um, really quick. And, you know, they get strung along and they target you know, these people on like social media platforms. like i know i've received like messages on instagram like oh i'm a forex trader or like reddit i always get yeah. those messages is that where they target people generally is like social media yeah um again great question it it varies social media is one of the preferred platforms i'll say the most common that i've seen has been dating apps right hmm. a so, honeypot. yeah like tinder like Bumble, like your OkCupid, Match.com, any dating app that you can think of, there are probably people who are on there who are trolling for potential victims of, you know, scams like these. Wow. Um, and what they'll do is they'll develop a relationship with you first before they bring you in. Like it will start without any kind of conversation about crypto. Um, usually what it seems to start with is pictures that are being shared of a really opulent lifestyle or maybe just like a leisurely lifestyle, right? Like, oh, I'm going to this concert. I'm going to go do this thing. Like, look at me on this boat, right? Yeah, something like, that you envy. Yeah, something like really, you know, appealing to your sense of maybe financial inadequacy, right? Or trying to find out how much money you have, right? You know, is this something that you do too? Like what, you know, what kind of economic class are you in? Like, that's what it feels like. And then eventually, and I'll give just a couple of, uh, of examples in really general terms. In, in one case, there was someone who, you know, strung someone along on like a dating app. Um, I think they even had like a conversation on the phone. They had planned to meet somewhere, but inevitably those plans will fall through. And then there's a conversation like, hey, you know, my relative, my aunt, my uncle, my like, you know, in-law, whomever, like works at 
name a legitimate trading firm, right? Like, um, like oh, works at like Grayscale or works for like mm -hmm. Ark Invest or whatever, um, and is on this analyst team, and they're aware of like how you can do these kind of like these kinds of trades that will enable you to make a lot of money. Are you interested in that, right? And then will direct you to a platform that they recommend to use that cues off of the data that's coming from this so-called like high-end analyst group that's within this legitimate firm, right? Uh, so, you know, people who are thinking that they're doing their due diligence, like, oh yeah, that's a real thing, will, uh, you know, essentially not see any major red flags. Like, I think, you know, both you and I, we hear this and we like see... We see all these red flags. You right. know, from it's interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, when we're talking about it, I'm always thinking of the people that are being targeted. Like, surely they're becoming more and more informed. You know, scams are so prevalent and common. I mean, and especially when it comes to technology, and, and like you said, it targets any age, but generally, like older people with technology, it's easier to for them to fall victim to scams. But I've heard about these cases too of, of people just giving their money to something that they thought was legitimate. And then it just wasn't. And and yeah, I, I hope this podcast and, and other stuff that's out there, I hope people are getting more and more informed because it is really obvious when you kind of just look at it even a little bit. It's pretty obvious when a scam is a scam. Um, they're more and more sophisticated. But yeah, like you said, there's so many red flags just popping up left and right. And hopefully people start seeing those. I hope. Right. Yeah. And and that's, um, you know, that's one of the things that I really want to, to, to do is just increase awareness um, so people aren't as easily victimized by yeah. scams like these. And like I have a lot of um, like sympathy for folks who, who fall into these scams um, because like when you're there and like you're having like really intimate conversations with somebody, right. You feel like you're building this like personal relationship with someone and like, you have this like trust for them. Like that's, that's like the kind of the X factor that really brings people mm. in. And that's why it's so, so insidious, right? Like you, like you have people who are taking advantage of someone's emotions, like someone who's a recent widow, right mm -hmm. could, could be a really great victim um you know that's why um that's why like dating apps are so uh so useful for these scammers i think because you find people who are just looking for relationships with people you know um and lots of times they pose as really attractive people right mm -hmm. um another instant red flag if somebody is like super yeah. attractive <laughs> talking to you it's like Generally, you might want to search those photos out on Google. They're probably just right. right. <laughs> um, you know, again, from like 10,000 feet, it seems obvious. But when you're like really up front, I think it's hard for folks to see the forest for the trees. And if you're you're ignorant with about the way um, crypto trading works, you know, um, and you're you're relatively new to it, then, you know, it seems, um, you know, it seems it's everything seems like it, it checks out, um, you know not only are people contacting folks through social media apps, but there are um, a few limited cases where uh, people have been brought into these scams by family members who are getting strung along, right? By someone else. Mm -hmm. So it actually is someone who is trusted, right? Um, who is vouching for this process and then bringing in other other people so it has like a ponzi scheme like yeah uh vibe to it 
but you know uh, the the person who's bringing you in is also you know getting getting pretty hosed yeah that's um, uh that that adds a, a more complex layer for sure you know it's like like you said multi-level marketing type type thing or you yeah. know you you trust your loved one and you just either want what's right for them or you think they're giving you presenting you a good opportunity so yeah that definitely kind of convolutes the the scam even more and i could see how people could um you know more easily fall for something like that i mean it's it's you use the word insidious i mean that's such a great word to describe because uh these scammers know there's so many opportunities to make money um and pretty easy money by scamming people and it's like well if you don't have a conscience and you don't you know have morals <laughs> yeah, yeah. i guess it's easy money and you don't fear jail time or whatever then i suppose it's like you know great there's your career but uh yeah obviously it's terrible <laughs> it's awful yeah yeah and I, I, I in in 2022 the the estimated loss that was reported um in schemes like this was about 3.3 billion wow uh crypto specifically i'm gonna guess that most of these had a crypto component to them. okay yeah yeah wow. that's a lot of money yeah it's it's an enormous amount of money and there's probably some that hasn't that isn't included in that figure too right that's just what was reported right um so and there's a lot of shame involved in these things so like if you fall victim you're probably unlikely to report that you fall on victim a lot that's of not- times yeah, a ton of shame, um, and uh, that that's something that I you know talk to talk to folks about you know because a lot of the people I've I've spoken to about these who've been victims of these scams you know highly educated people, right? Yeah. Like they they seem like they should know better, and then after it happens to them, they are like, I know I should have known better, but here I am, like you know sitting on a, a massive loss, and. The scammers that are running these schemes are continuing to learn and adapt from experience, right? Like they have so many shots on goal now that they're learning how to change their their tactics, right? How to like modify their techniques and how to approach people differently in order to, you know, maximize their return. And what makes it even more sad is that a lot of the people who are like upfront interfacing with the victims are themselves victims of like a overarching like criminal element right or like crime syndicate you know um like some organized crime where they are indebted to them in in Mm. some interesting Um, there's a few articles that you could see on on cnn did like a little expose of um pig butchering scams and um I, i don't think they're all you know based out of southeast asia um, a lot of them are, um, but apparently, uh, in in many cases, you have people who are like indebted to like some shady casino, right? And they're told like, "Hey, you can work off this debt by mm. taking this job." Um, you know, otherwise, we're gonna, you know, break your thumbs or worse, right? So you have people who are like already under duress and like working with a sense of purpose right to scam people as many people as they possibly can in order to get themselves out of this really awful situation wow insidious is a perfect word for all this i mean it's just kind of awful and it's so prevalent it's happening so much people even write into bitcoin.tax and ask about this kind of stuff like hey i need i've seen tickets where people are asking like i need to pay somebody's telling me i need to pay a tax on this and i always just say like listen that's generally not how it works like you're probably being scammed you really need to look into this but let's talk about the tax implications let's actually discuss the tax implications because 
one of the things that kind of infuriates and probably confuses a lot of people is that you, you can't really claim casualty losses in crypto on your taxes for the most part. It's It was removed years ago. Um, and it's kind of hard. A lot of people will say, oh, I lost this in a scam or I got this stolen from me. How do I claim it as a loss? And I generally have to tell them like, uh, you know, there's not really casualty losses as they're referred to in crypto anymore. So given that, what's the situation with pig butchering and taxes and, and how does that play into like casualty losses? Yeah, t- totally. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, the, the big the big issue here is, you know, what happens when you when you either like liquidate an IRA or, you know, 401k, some tax deferred account or investments with built in gain um, or really anything that would give you a tax liability that ends up getting, you know, stolen in one of these scams. Right. Um, so, you know, recovery in these cases is is rare um, and uh, usually pr- pretty difficult. There are some firms out there that are working on ways to try to get people, you know, their their money back in really creative ways. Um, I mean, the FBI is trying as hard as they can, you know, I roll there. I, I don't know <laughs> how hard they're trying, um, but, you know, it, it's becoming such a big issue. And like these are if you think about it from a practical like economic policy standpoint, right? Like this is money that would otherwise be going to the U.S. government right? in, in taxes, you know, right. like there's revenue being lost as a result of these, these scams. And this money is going to God knows who to fund their, you know, ridiculous, um, like international criminal lifestyle. I don't know. So um, as, as far as relief is concerned, you know, you brought up, um, you brought up casualty and, and theft losses and this is a, an area that I've been focusing on a lot here recently, and I'm hoping in the next month or so to have a little bit more certainty um, regarding uh, the ability to claim theft losses for uh, investment scams. So a, a little bit of background here. Um, the casualty loss limitation that you you referenced went into effect with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? Um, and limited um, theft and casualty losses to um, federally declared disaster areas, right? Um, just so we're on the same page. Yeah, that's as far as I understand it as well. So there is still a totally valid and legal method to claim losses incurred in transactions entered into for profit. And there is a safe harbor procedure that was... Um, developed or really the IRS put forward for victims of Ponzi schemes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this allows people to basically, and I'm going to oversimplify here, like deduct the amount that they lost in a Ponzi scheme. And uh, there's a safe harbor filing procedure uh, where you you file um, using its uh, form 4684 uh, to claim that loss. Um, and the, the requirements are essentially that you were involved in a fraudulent investment scheme and a central figure has been indicted, right, hmm. in relation to that scheme. Um, so that's, that is a safe harbor filing procedure for theft losses for transactions entered into for profit that is still totally on, on, on the books. That, that wording, um, though, at the end, that specificity of <laughs> a central figure that has been indicted. I think a lot of listeners' ears perked up when you said there's like a legitimate way to claim casualty losses. I think a lot of people are really excited to hear that. I would love for you to like expand on the 
central figure that has been indicted because with the schemes we've been talking about, often that's not the case. I mean, with rug pulls, how legal of the term indicted are we talking? Are we talking about indicted in just like the general term or actually the legal term of being indicted by the courts? Because with rug pulls, these popular figures have been indicted by the public. <laughs> so is that indicted? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, no. It's like there actually has to be a federal complaint, right? Gotcha. Like they're being they're being pursued and there's been an actual like indictment. Okay. Uh, so not a big surprise here is that with these pig butchering scams, like, you know, the central figure hasn't been indicted. So that requirement of the safe harbor filing procedure isn't being met. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that still raises the question then, well, what what of, you know, these kind of gray area losses, you know, that fit within the like it's still a transaction entered into for profit, right? That is not related to your trader business. That's um, uh, Internal Revenue Code Section 165C2. Um, so that particular section is not subject to the limitations in 165H, which is the uh, the TCGA's um, limitation on casualty losses that are limited to a, a federally declared disaster area. So based off of the plain reading of the statute, theft losses for transactions entered into for profit that are not related to your trader business, which is the key term there, should be allowed. So that would suggest that victims of pig butchering schemes can deduct the amount that they lost in the pig butchering scheme. This is potentially like really life-changing for a lot of folks. Yeah. Um, I mean, the law is there. I've run it by other professionals who have read through my reasoning and my logic here and and are inclined to agree with me. So, you know, right now what it looks like is that, you know, so long as, you know, you were involved in a scheme where you felt you had like a bona fide belief that you were investing in a legitimate, you had a legitimate like investment account, right, that was making gains and that you were, um, you know, participating in this investment like you would any other you know trading account that you might have on like Schwab or Fidelity or wherever right like so long as that is what was happening and you were doing it in the context of hey I'm making a profit um, and this is not related to my business then you should be allowed to deduct generally speaking the amount that you put at, at risk right less any amount that you think you might be able to recover. And that is good law. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It it absolutely makes sense. I mean, a person that does lose this crypto or money financially, they should be be allowed to kind of like deduct that on their taxes. I mean, they went through something kind of awful. They were scammed and the protections maybe weren't in place by the government to protect the citizens from falling for these scams. So therefore, they should be given the opportunity to at least deduct that off their taxes if they're paying, you know, other capital gains or something for trading. My goal here is to advocate for these taxpayers as much as I possibly can to allow them to take this this deduction. You know, otherwise they're stuck in a situation where they have this massive tax liability that for some of them, especially if they're elderly, might be paying off their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the next potential avenue for relief here would be through uh, the IRS's offer and compromise program. 
some people who've been victims of other types of scams that I've worked with have been successful in getting their offers accepted. So, you know, what that would be is that you, you basically provide an enormous amount of financial information to the IRS about what you can pay, and then you just kind of pay what you can. Um, and hopefully they'll agree with you that, that that's okay. Um, I've, I've seen uh, some favorable results there, again, with folks who are involved in other types of scams. So that's another option for people who are sitting on a massive liability um, as a result of um, a pig butchering scam. Um, okay, but, so know, there, there's two opportunities here. So the, the OIC, like you said, offers in compromise. And then the first thing is that you're working on something that will hopefully allow individuals to claim that casualty loss in, in, in a sense. If somebody's listening to this and wants to take advantage of that potential opportunity, the best way for them to do that would be to reach out to Kugelman Law, essentially, and just kind of ask to talk to you about this. Is that really the main way to go about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to talk anyone through through their options here. It's my opinion that the loss is allowable. So if anybody wanted to just go off on their own and 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 claim it, you know, they could, but they're doing so with some risk. Mm-hmm. And I think that that should be the the big caveat here that I highlight is that if you decide to claim a theft loss under um, Section 165C2 for a transaction entered into for profit, right? Um, that's not involved in your trader bi- trader business. Like you're, you're running a little bit of a risk of a IRS exam um, and possibly having your loss disallowed. Um, What I've been doing for people who really don't wanna wait and wanna just go ahead and take the loss, I've been writing legal opinion letters for them so they can go ahead and take the loss. Um, And then if they're ever challenged, then they could provide the examiner with a copy of the opinion letter attesting to the facts and the law. And hey, maybe that'll resolve it on that level. I mean, at the very least, it would help to abate any penalties that were incurred for like underpayment of tax um, because you relied on the advice of a, of a legal professional. That's honestly huge. And and if you're not sure what an opinion letter is, our last episode we did uh, about opinion letters. So go check that one out. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear you say that. Obviously, none of this is tax advice. Like we don't want to give tax advice to people necessarily, although you're welcome to since you are a tax <laughs> professional. But I think a lot of people will be really excited to hear that and to take that position because we have so many people that are so bummed when I tell them that, you know, hey, just according to law, there's no more casualty losses. I'm definitely going to point them to this episode. And I think honestly, like you guys are going to get a lot of clients just from this episode of people <laughs> that have experienced losses. Because as you said, it's so prevalent. I've talked to so many people that have had some form of, of crypto loss via scam or rug pull or whatever. Um, so I'm sure you guys are going to have a lot of people kind of call into you or email and just say, Hey, can we talk? I, w- I want to discuss this. Um, and personally, I always think that would be the better option than to just go off on your own. I think it's always nice to have, especially Kugelman Law. I've known you guys and Alex for a long time and you guys are uh, a great firm. You guys know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you have experienced a scam, definitely contact the, uh, Kugelman Law and get in touch with them. And either Alex, Alex Kugelman or Alex Johnson can uh, can help you out with this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm happy. I'm happy to help. Um, you know, I, I have yet to get someone to sign on with me to do a um, it's called a private letter ruling. So uh, a private letter ruling is when you like you get an actual written opinion from IRS Office of Chief Counsel on the um, the legality of a proposed transaction. PLRs, private letter rulings. Right. Essentially, what it is is you you break down your facts, you break down the law, you submit it to IRS, and then they come back to you with an opinion on whether 
like your position is okay, right? Um, and PLRs only apply to the taxpayer that submitted them. So like one person could be issued a PLR and another person is not on like kind of similar issues. So they can't um, be usually, used for like precedent or anything like that. Like you can't not, yeah, not, It's okay. non-precedential. It has to do with just one person. It might give you a good idea how something might yeah. turn out. Interesting. Uh, but the problem with them is that they're expensive and they take a long time. Yeah. Um, the filing fee, just the filing fee, or the, the IRS refers it refers to it as the user's fee, um, is anywhere between three to five thousand um, dollars. I mean, it can it can actually exceed that on more complicated issues. So you're going to pay like, you know, my fee plus a filing fee. Um, so there's uh, and there's no guarantee that it's going to come back positive. Um, again, like you know. My feeling is that this is kind of a cut and dry issue. But again, before I really just give like my full throated endorsement of just taking these these deductions, um, you know, I really want to uh, to run it through Office of Chief Counsel and make sure that we're we're on the same page. Um, but, you know, this this could potentially be a, a gleaming light for folks who experienced um, uh, theft, theft losses that fit this description. Um, yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, because the last kind of good news on that on that front of casualty losses was I believe I had Matt Metrison and he was talking about how a law could go in place or whatever that would say, OK, casualty losses are allowed again and it's retroactive. So, you know, you're yeah. allowed to go back and kind of say or like if you had done it, then it then it's OK to have done it um, to have claimed that loss. So I think that was the, and that was a year ago or so. That was the last kind of glimmer of hope I think people had if they were just like listeners of this podcast. So for you to come on and, and say that it's really a, a potential possibility that you can claim that casualty loss, I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear that. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, my feeling is, is that, hey, Ponzi scheme victims can do it. Then then why can't pig butchering scheme victims do it? Like the, the Ponzi scheme facts are pretty similar to a pig butchering scheme. Um, really the only thing that you're missing here is the indictment of a central figure, right? Like that is the, that is the big omission or like mm -hmm. that's, that's the big fact that's missing from this, this fact pattern. Um, but you know, when you have someone who can really prove that they had these losses and, you know, you go on like Wayback machine internet archive and you can see these sites like that were set up to look like legitimate trading platforms, sometimes like even taking the names of existing legitimate platforms that are maybe a little bit lesser known um, and then changing something about it. Right. Um, it, uh, it It's like, well, what are, what are consumers supposed to do? Right. Like what, what are taxpayers supposed to do in that, that situation? And if you go through, you know, the, the revenue ruling about uh, Ponzi schemes um, and that safe Harbor filing, like you'll just see a lot of similarities there and and the idea that that one fact would then disallow that loss in its entirety and oh by the way um that that revenue ruling and the revenue procedure specifically says that if you don't qualify for the safe harbor then you can still file um for a uh, a loss under the standard filing procedures hmm. right so non-safe harbor so i think that at least on that level the guidance is not wholly clear as with all things crypto yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and and irs in some cases yeah yeah <laughs> well well still i think this is huge um i i think you gave a great explanation of it like i said i think you know if you're 
especially if you have a lot of losses, I think it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to get in touch with Kugelman Law, Alex Johnson, you know, whoever you want to talk to about this. I think it would be a good idea. I think this is really interesting kind of novel information that maybe a lot of people don't know about. So again, I'm sure a lot of people are grateful for you explaining this to them. Alex? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time with me today. Of course. And, uh, Thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate you. And uh, if people want to get in touch, um, I know the website's kugamanlaw.com, right? Yep. That's and, it. And then is that the best way to just go through that to get in touch with you and the firm? Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, just go through our standard intake process, you know, and uh, our coordinator will get you set up for a consultation, you know, get have all your facts ready to go so I can review them beforehand and then we'll we'll have a we'll have a chat. Perfect. Shout out to Scott. Yep. <laughs> Shout out to Scott. All right. Uh, thank you again, Alex, and uh, take it easy, man. All right. You too. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.